Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. I'm your host, Simon Rennie, and today we're getting mindful about relationships, and in particular, we're going to be looking at patriarchy and how that impacts relationships as well. And I'm really excited. I've got Bev Ehrlich. Is that right, Bev? Yeah, Ehrlich. You're from South Africa, but you're living in Israel at the moment. That's right. I was born in South Africa, but I've lived in Israel for longer than I ever lived there. Wonderful. I'm from the beautiful city of Cape Town. Awesome. Nice. Um, and you're a mum, you're a grandmother as well, and you've studied in psychology and education and you're a relationships coach as well. A hundred percent. Quite a CV. You've got there. So I like to start off by, you know, letting my guests introduce themselves and tell us a bit about their story and some of the key life events, like, you know, growing up and, and have you traveled? What's some of the, the key points of your life that you'd like to share? So, as I said, I was born in South Africa. I was born in a, in a small town actually out of Cape Town grew up in Cape Town and at a very young age I knew I wanted to come live in Israel and I met my husband well my future husband and he had the same dream so that was great and after we were married a year we came to live here and um, we have four children and lots of grandchildren all living here close by us which is lovely what what drew you towards Israel I think as a Jew, that was just always, it was sort of, I guess we kind of were fed that at home, you know. Um, we were brought here, both my husband and I were brought here on family trips with our families when we were younger. There was always this love in the home and we were concerned about Israel, what's going on in Israel. The truth is, though, I'm speaking to someone from Australia, that my parents weren't very um, encouraging of the move they wanted me to go to Australia and in fact my father did a whole lot of medical exams to get into Australia and I have quite a lot of family yeah. in in various parts of Australia which was considered you know a comfortable move from South Africa mm-hmm. similar yeah Israel was not considered a comfortable move but I was brought up with Hebrew I went to university learned more Hebrew mm-hmm. my husband did well at Hebrew so it was kind of a very natural move for us yeah. as a young couple i've never been to israel but I, you know i see what happens on the news and and so forth um like is it like dangerous to live there like what's it like living there on a daily basis for us we feel pretty safe but yeah it's not a friendly neighborhood yeah. you know and um but we do go about our lives it's a it's a very modern country that's developing in leaps and bounds and our children are involved in various creative activities and work that really you can see startup nation and yeah you know 
we just went to a museum last week about how it would take a day, two days to get from our place to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It now takes 25 minutes on a modern train. Oh, wow. You know, that it's like remarkable. 25 minutes is on the train and you get off 25 minutes later and you're there. What would take two days on a dangerous road, yeah. you know, when the, when the state was being built. Yeah. So it's, it's wonderful. What can I tell you? Wonderful. And I mentioned before you're a mum and a grandmother and I love talking to parents as well because I'm a parent. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, so I'm usually either sick from kids being sick or I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> um, but I, I love to hear about like what, what does it mean to you to be a mum and a grandparent as well? So I'm gonna, I'm, I'll start with the, with the, the downside first. And that is... <laughs> As a mom to older children and grandchildren, I'm still sleep deprived sometimes. <laughs> you know, we want to be very helpful to them, available to them. Um, I really feel that as the privilege of being a grandmother and a, and a relatively young grandmother or energetic grandmother, I can really spend time, and there are lots of them, I can really spend time getting to know these people um, whom I adore. Yeah, and really just hanging out with them, not having the, you know, so much of the tension of of um, parenting around it, just being able to be there with them, but sometimes having the exhaustion of parenting when we're, if somebody's, you know, going through a crisis, there was a family funeral this week, and you pull together, and that might mean late late nights, early mornings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, you've studied in psychology and education. Um, tell us a bit about why you chose those particular fields to study in. Right. I think probably everybody that you'll ask will tell you, I've kind of always been a psychologist, right? I was, yep. as a friend, I was the psychologist. Um, I was brought up in a house. My father was a physician. And in a, in a generation gone by where it was home visits and very caring, he would have people come to our home. He had his own clinic, but on the weekends, people would come to our home. And, you know, I, I, I knew that he, behind the door, he was either sitting with someone or doing healing work, whatever he was doing. Yeah. Um, so I think that was very much a part of what I nursed as growing up. You know, my mother worked for various charities and, um, very traditional home you know he was a physician she was a stay-at-home mom and even though I know we're going to talk about patriarchy and what that is I still very much it was like it was a comfortable home for me to grow up in in many ways and so and like a, a lot of people that studies things like psychology and social work or counseling have had their own journey with mental health and, and so forth did right. you find that or did you find it more of a just a natural fit just because of your curiosity it was both and um, I'm also married to a physician and um, a really wonderful gentleman who's had his own challenges with um, depression. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when we were hit with that as a couple, as a family, we began our own journey on well, what is this? How do we heal? And then I realized, wow, there's so many couples who struggle um, and that is a big, a big thing for them, especially male depression. Mm. so I think that's what drew me to that yeah did that really impact you like within your household like you know your partner going through depression did it influence how you interacted or you know felt about each other yeah I was kind of like mad woman like if you could imagine this hair standing up that's what it (laughs) that's what it was like 
you know yeah. i know i seem kind of normal now right <laughs> you, you, what's you normal my, <laughs> more or less right you can't see me flipping my lid but um it took me a long time to find the tools we needed and get the proper help that we needed i'm not just talking about the medical aspect i'm talking about that emotional support um wasn't readily available to what we needed and um then we were fortunate to find and and I thought, wow, this is where I want to be. And I immersed myself with these teachers and these helpers and I took on the journey. Yeah. And is that and what got journey. you into the relationships side of things? Very much so. Yeah. Seeing the challenge, seeing how my behavior was not helping my husband. I wasn't being able to, when, where I wasn't being able to be supportive. Um, what was going on with me? Why was that happening? Yeah. understanding you know my own background and what I what I brought into my marriage yeah it's a, it's a really uh, valid point that you raise because when one of us in a relationship and that's probably me and my relationship is the the mental health so I've lived with depression anxiety obsessive compulsive disorder for since I was eight years old almost um mm. starting with OCD and then gradually developed into to depression anxiety and my wife's like my rock, but, you know, it's important to reflect that when one of us is going through mental health challenges or even just challenges in general, it does impact the other person in the relationship as well. Um, and it sounds like it did have a bit of a profound impact on your household. Was Did it impact your children in any way or was this before kids or? So, no, it was with the kids, but but what I, I really want to address, and, and of course it had an impact on them and, you know, their partnerships and stuff. Yeah. But what I really want to address what you're saying is how that flow between you and your wife, me and my husband, that we came from a place of seeing relationships as me and you. <laughs> and the whole shift was to us. We are a team and we are yeah. in this together. And it's not about you better get your act together. It's, oh my gosh, we need to do something together. And that whole shift was like magic. Like yeah. we're in this together. Um, just recently, uh, my, uh, my, our father, my father-in-law lives with us. And that's mm -hmm. just over the last year. And someone said to me, but it's not your father. And that whole shift from it, it's not about me and him. It's about us. I'm like, of course he lives with us. You know, I live with my husband. And he needed a place and we were able to take him in and it was, it's we, 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 we're going to manage this together. It's not, this is your dad, you deal with it, you know, beside him being a delightful man that's yeah. blessed our lives, um, which does make a difference and it makes it a lot easier. But um, it's that shift from the you and me to the us, to the team. If you think about it, Simon, like um, your biosphere, mm -hmm. we're not above. And we're not below. We are dependent on our relationships like we are on our home or the place that we live. So if I'm going to scream and yell here, my partner's going to punish and retaliate here. It's like you can picture your living room. We can throw all the garbage we like in the living room. And we're just going to have that common space become more and more polluted. And we're going to breathe that bad air in. Do we want that? So it's not about... I'm going to win this argument. You're going to lose. No, if I'm going to win, I'm going to pay for it in some way. Mm. My partner's going to make damn sure that I pay for it. So we want to keep the environment clean and we want to do that together, which means really 
what, what is it you need right now? And how can I give it to you? And this is what I need. And then learning to cherish what healthy giving and getting bring to a relationship. I love that teamwork notion. While you were talking, I was thinking about also the client therapist relationship as well. And, you know, I've, I've been into a lot of psychologists. I've been to psychiatrists. I've been to counselors, some mental health social workers. And the ones that I've valued the most were the ones where it was more of a team effort and coming up with ideas together and solutions together, as opposed to, well, you need to do this, this, and this to rectify that situation. So, and it's the same within a, a relationship, husband, husband, wife, you know, or same sex relationship, whatever it is, or even, you know, uh, dad and son or, or mother and daughter or whatever. It's, it's when you work as a team, things become a bit more right. co- cohesive and coherent and, and you can move quicker through these difficult times as opposed to trying to figure it out yourself so you've put a lot of pearls in there (laughs) people say to me i'm right and he's wrong it's not about who's right and who's wrong the the relational answer to that question is who cares how are we going to manage this Mm, definitely how are we going to manage this in a way that we can manage this you know not that the joneses next door would manage it they can do it their way they they have to sort out their issues how are we going to manage this? It's, it's definitely not a right or wrong thing. Yeah. So let's let's chat about relationships and patriarchy. And and when we were setting up this, I'm thinking, okay, what's Bev going to say about patriarchy? Because whenever I've spoken about patriarchy through my studies more so, and I finished my Masters of Social Work last year, whenever, whoever brings it up comes from almost like that feminist perspective. And it's, it's, it's like that us and them, us and you type discussion. But I was glad when you were talking about teamwork. And so I'm interested to see what your perspective of patriarchy is and, and how you see it as impacting relationships. So based on your experience, both as a professional and, you know, a person and, the, and, a, and private as well, how would you define patriarchy in 2022? And, and has it changed over the years or is it very much the same? So those are all great questions. I'm, I'm going to jump in where you started about the feminist movement. You know, mm. the feminist movement brought this great, whatever you can do, I can do. Women could cross a line. I don't need to wear makeup. I can have my hair short. I can wear pants. Um, I can do any job that any man can do. What they didn't address is the concept of the relationship. Like, I can do what you do. When we meet at the end of the day, let's meet eye to eye and see how we're going to live this life together. Because mm. it's not about just self-empowerment. Look here, I'm I'm strong and basically F off. I'm going to do what I want to do. And yep. you are not going to tell me what to do. That is not an, a, a relational answer. Um, and today, I would say more women and men are wanting relationships to carry on into our 80s and 90s, long walks on the beach where we can still have deep conversations. But the truth is we're not raising our boys to give that. So mm. when I see people, couples in my in my my office, it's often these grandiose women, more shut down men, who they don't, the men often don't even know why they're there. Mm. So they just know that their wives are unhappy, let's say, right? And I'm talking about a, a, a sort of a heterosexual, I'm talking about a heterosexual normative kind of couple. So when I think of patriarchy, this is what I've learned from Carol Gilligan and Terry Real. If you think of the great divide when a baby's born, 
we divide them into male female attributes so male attributes will be strong independent leadership female attributes will be soft emotional vulnerable and while we want our children to have all of those in reality we actually value the male qualities and male attributes and that creates this and women we collude with that we encourage it in many ways especially the feminist movement encouraging independence and vulnerability is seen as weakness not weakness but vulnerability emotional softness mm-hmm. is seen as being below so what we have here is that boys understand the code very young they leave for kindergarten and they know boys don't cry boys are very often defined by their non-feminist attributes so I, women can be defined as tomboys seen oh that could be quite cute but men will be defined as sissies if they've got if uh, they have a strong softness to them sissies fags a lot of those negative labels are put on and men are defined by not being women if you yeah. like yeah rather than with women are defined by women and men are defined as not being women and this divide i put it like this cuz one up one down doesn't create intimacy and connectedness we need to see each other eye to eye yeah i do a job you do a job at the end of the day how are we going to manage this family together yeah any sort of thoughts questions on that yeah no no it's got me thinking about the whole boys don't cry boys can't show emotion thing and i often tell this on the podcast is growing up in where I grew up it was a, a masculine environment I had four boys in the household plus dad and you know we played football um, we're very much alpha males if, if you like and I remember growing up and and on the footy field and in the home it was all around boys don't cry and boys can't show emotion and 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 what planted a seed in my mind and this is growing up in the 90s was a friend of mine at primary school was crying in, in the schoolyard and I went up to him and said mate you've got to stop crying because boys don't cry so even at a young age and i was probably what 8 9 or 10 or so i've been socially conditioned to to believe that boys can't cry and when he and then he said to me Simon i can cry if i want to and i was like whoa this is just far out there i what are you talking about it's like i was talking like a different language but it planted a seed in my mind, in the back of my mind that I've held on to for a very long time. And, and this is what I'm doing now through Mindful Men is, is that boys can cry and boys can show emotion. And it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're a sissy. It doesn't mean you're feminine or anything like that. It may be, it's, maybe it's tuning into the, the, the softer side of you, but it doesn't make you any less of a man or, right. or male. Or we, we want like to encourage that. them to become, we want to encourage our children to become full humans. Yeah, that's that's right. And and if we're going to get to that 80 or 90 year old walking on the beach, you know, we we have to see eye to eye and and particularly in 2022 where social constructions of of the household are very different to say the 60s, 70s, even earlier and even later where men would go to work and be the breadwinners and and the wives would stay home and and the kids would follow suit with whatever dad did. If he was in, if he was a laborer, they might become a laborer or, or a tradie or a doctor, or, you know, they follow the same, same right. suit. So now it's more of a, the world is the oyster. And for particularly people like that, like I call them new age dads, 
and I've read some great articles around new age parenting and it's where it's you're embracing the masculinity and the femininity in 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 your life as a dad so that when you're raising right. your, your children particularly our sons that they grow up feeling empowered to just follow whatever path they want to follow um and I guess this all comes down to social constructs and you mentioned when when a baby is born we put them female male I remember when we were um, having our kids and we wanted, we didn't want them to wear blue and we didn't want them to wear pink, but that's all mm -hmm. that was in the shops, in the clothing, you know? So we, we had a real, real difficulty trying to find white, gray, beige kind of clothing that didn't have princesses or unicorns or, you know, um, superheroes on it because we wanted our kids just to grow into whatever being they wanted to be. But I guess it's all right. this. This is what we, I guess, get get to with social constructions about what it is to be a, a person. What it is to be a male or a female. That's and, right. Uh, you brought up a, a beautiful point about uh, your great grandmother would imagine if someone came up to her and said, um, a friend said to her, you know, he's just not passionate. He just doesn't have passion. She'd say, you know, does he doesn't beat you? He brings home a good wage. Be happy with that. Yeah. But and they have that companionship. But today, women want more. They want the in-depth conversation and the intimacy. And we don't want to bring them down to meet their men. We want to bring the men up to meet them because the men are also longing for that. Yeah, and I think when we think about dads, particularly, like the idea of a stay-at-home dad, you know, and it's challenging that that social construction of patriarchy that the, the dad has to go out and work and be the breadwinner. But there's a lot of dads and myself included who who spent time being the stay-at-home dad and and doing the domestic tasks and getting kids off to school and picking them up and so forth. But and a lot of dads when they they're out and about in, in like at the shops or, or whatever and someone says, Oh, are you babysitting your kids today? Where's uh -huh. mum? Well, like actually I'm the stay-at-home dad, mum's at work, you know. So we're even in 2022 where dads are uh trying to you know i guess be more present with the kids and and take on more of the the caregiving role and, and letting mums go back to work because you know we've got huge issues of mums being out of the workforce for years on end while the kids are, are particularly young and not being able to climb that ladder if they want to climb that corporate ladder or, or do further study or, or start a business or whatever they want to do because they're resigned right. to playing that socially constructed role of of the caregiver and, you know, and, and we've got, I'm not sure what it's like over there, but we've got superannuation. So superannuation is where you know, money gets put aside throughout your working life. And then when you retire, you can draw down that as a pension. And a lot of mums don't have big buckets of money in their superannuation because of they're doing this unpaid caregiver's role. Um, but yeah. I think in 2022 and beyond, which we're trying to, there's a lot of dads out there that are trying to challenge that and, and switch roles up and have a more equal household. And I, we mentioned feminism at the top of the show and and I don't think feminism is all that bad. Like I think there's a lot of guys that are tuning into some of the feminist concepts around equality and and, and stuff like that. Um, I guess it, when it comes to a relationship, as you said, it's, it's a an us thing, a team thing. It's not so much feminists versus patriarchal society. And they it seems like um, they clash all the time, but, but in reality, yeah. we can take a lot from both. So patriarchy, do you see it being a purely male issue or you mentioned before that that it, it can go on either side of the, of the coin as well? I think we do things that we're not even aware of. They just seem mm. such natural 
construct. I'll give you a simple example. My husband was saying to me, when I wash dishes, um, I always I put the knife standing up or whatever. Something I'd never even noticed. When he washes the knives, he always puts the blade down. Can I also do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, it's an inane example, right? And the very next day, I was washing knives and I did it my way. And he commented about it in some kind of like sarcastic way, right? And I said to him, hang on, I need you to say that again more kindly. And I need you maybe to remind me because it means I'm happy to do it. But because it's such a nothing thing for me, I might forget. Mm -hmm. But because it means something to you, I'd like you to remind me. And just having said that to him, you need a part in this. You need a part in getting what you want. He didn't have to say it again. I remembered. Now I remembered to put the knives. You know, we've been married over 30 years. Suddenly you're worried how I wash knives. You know, you're bringing that up. But okay, I'm happy to do it for you. But I might need some help. This is what I need from you in order to do that. So we can get and give what our partners need and what we need. Yeah. And those are, that's more cherishing behavior. Yeah. That, you know? that knife conversation is one that happens in our household as well <laughs> i'm sure exactly <laughs> which is a, it's not yeah I, i'm surprised it, it's great to hear that it's happening not just in my household but in your household as well um right. and it, it's a silly example but the, the the essence of it is i need you to help me give you what you need yeah and and, and communication is, is central to that. Like, you know, we, we don't know what each other needs if we don't communicate openly. And, and you know, if, if one of us wants to challenge the role of patriarchy or feminism or whatever, we need to voice that, um, exactly. in a, I guess, in a constructive way as well. Um, from a, a, in a, a time team. where women need to be learning to speak more respectfully hmm. as well, very often, they need to learn how to ask for what they want women are like this as well that's part of patriarchy and carol gilligan says it so beautifully there's no relationship without voice mm. and there's no voice without relationship yeah i like that that's really nice so what about yeah. what about with our kids though so like you know we talked a bit about they grow they they're born into these identities um and you mentioned there's certain attributes that are favored over others so potentially the masculine uh, attributes how can we as parents, I guess, in 2022, start to challenge this? You know, where can we help our kids grow up and to be the people that they want to be as opposed to what society um, has already laid out for them? Like, what can we do from practical parenting tips? You know, I think each each family would have to ask that the question themselves. Um, I happen to come from a very traditional-looking family even this family and um, mm -hmm. that I'm in now the women do work my girls are from a different generation I would say that their um their parenting is very much shared as much as possible depending on the demands of each one's work mm -hmm. I think really it's a very individual it's very individual I have one son one of my sons where the, the his children will say um, oh, I'm going to choose a straw from the cupboard now, but I'm not going to choose a girl's color. Or I'm going to choose a boy's color for me, and I'm going to give my sister the girl's color. You know, and I might say, oh, colors aren't for boys and girls. Colors are beautiful. Like it, yeah. it's almost like what you were saying about you don't want to dress your children in white, in pink and blue. Why not? Well, See, yeah. go put 
go put blue on your daughter. Mm. You know, ah, go put a uh, blue on your daughter's okay. Go put pink on your son. That's very, that's, that's a different conversation, right? But little girls can be in blue already because they've crossed that line. Yeah. I but love that you brought up colours, actually, because this has been a very recent discussion in our household. So our son, he's five, and, and he's been talking in, in, oh, this is a boy's colour and this is a girl's colour. And I think this is a great example for this question, like how do, how do, how do we help our kids and, or how do parents help their kids, I guess, challenge these notions of traditional patriarchy in, in families? And colour's a great one because blue doesn't have to be mean boy, pink doesn't have to mean girl. And we say to him all the time, Pink's okay. You can wear pink if you want. You can you can go to dance class if you want. You can go to choir if you want. You don't have to be the football player. You don't have to be the musician. You can you can do whatever you want. And I think like and we're exploring that at the moment with him because you know we've had him in things like swimming and we've tried soccer and and all these things. The other day he said, you know, I want to do choir. And choir hasn't been something in our family that, you know, I did music, I did uh, guitar when I was growing up, but never, never singing. So we're like, if you want to sing, that's cool as well. And I had a, another great uh, show podcast episode with an, another guest. And he was saying that when his son was growing up on the weekends, he'd play footy, but on the weekdays, he'd go to dance classes or, you know, and do the theater and stuff like that, which is, these are the things that we can do, I think, to challenge these traditional notions of patriarchy and say, well, what you can do anything that you want and you don't have to see right. the world in boys and girls. You can see it in all sorts of ranges of colour um, mm. and so forth. I think that's a great tip in itself. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up colour because it's a very recent discussion that we've had in this household. Right. Even down to eating off of pink plates and blue plates that we've got for the kids, like the plastic plates. Right, you know? right. My lifestyle is as a religious Jew, and that's mm. very patriarchal. Yeah. So can you can you describe that for us? Because I'm not Jewish. So describe how mm. that shows up in, in, in your household. Well, the men have very specific ro roles when it comes to religious living, you know, going to, they're obligated with certain prayers, whereas women aren't. Mm -hmm. um, women are not obligated by time-bound constructs as much um so for us it's it's almost like we were born into that and nobody's really challenged that very much it, it seems to just work because that's part of the possibly part of the collusion part of you don't they see think outside the box i uh, i do think about it and i'm less i suppose religious if you like than mm -hmm. some of the other members but it's, it's a comfortable place and i wouldn't necessarily go and shake that up because yeah. there's a there's a value in living your life also where you feel a sense of belonging a sense of comfort i think yeah. there's value in that as well when you do have a sense of belonging you can become and emerge who you supposed to be so they mm. might not be rigid in my home very rigid as opposed to some other homes dress codes you know women don't wear pants women cover mm. their hair um we might not be that rigid but if it works for you, you know, I always say when I see people in my my clinic, it's not because they need to be fixed. Some of their behavior might need to be changed, but there's nothing that needs to be fixed. And not, not everything that comes to you is pathological. Mm. It's not pathological that you don't want to wear pants and cover your hair. That's okay. If it works for you, if it's something that you're struggling with, then let's unpack that. 
Yeah, that's right. You, you know, just do what works. That's often in in the therapy space. Do what works for you. Do you ever find that, like in the relationship work you do, that there might be one party who might be the more religious and the other party who's not so, or, or is starting to question it, and that's causing right. friction? How does that? Have you ever had that come up? Yeah, so that comes up a lot with that right and wrong. Yeah. And it could be your political views. I mean, I told you, I was just recently in Perth and you had elections. And within my sister's home, there were interesting discussions about what they were going to vote for, right? There's always a sense of mourning in a relationship. So let's say in the American world, they're the Republicans and the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So you might, your your partner might be a Republican, strong, 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 and the other one might be a um, Democrat. And you go out for dinner and you're with a couple and they're both Democrats. And it's like a dagger in your heart. Look how beautiful it is that they're on the same page. Look how beautiful it is. They're equally religious or whatever the issue. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is it worth mourning what I'm not getting? Because I'm getting so much more. Or I can't live with this. I have to move on. So in our family, my husband is a lot more religious than I am. Yeah. And I'm happy to be supportive of that. But he doesn't expect me to follow that same role. Why do you think that's the case? Like, why is, is your husband, like, like minded like that to accept that? Like, I guess it would be hard for some people who are quite religious. Because to I think that. he's getting more than if he had that wife that looked the part. Yeah, okay. I think he's getting more out of the relationship. And I think he's a little bit more open-minded as well. But um, because we can't walk this path exactly at the same pace. Mm. We just are not, we're not clones of each other. You know, we all want to find gods and goddesses who are going to complete us and mind read us and give us everything we need. And what happens in reality is we have this collision with his flaws and my human flaws. And the rest of our lives is learning to manage that. That's what happens in reality, right? Um, They come and they've got like this hot dagger and they stab it in your eye some of the time, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. And then I always say, what is the lesson I'm supposed to be learning about? About myself that I've married you who I thought was my perfect partner, but you've got these things. You're so much quieter than I am. And I want to, you know, put a, I don't know, some fire underneath you. And then I think, well, maybe I need some of that Mm. quietness. Mm as well what what is it's funny you said uh perfect partner and part of my practice framework is this notion around wabi-sabi it's the beauty and imperfection it's a comes from japanese um design right it's it's kind of like the concept when you break a vase and you you and then you glue it back together and and you can see all the cracks and it and it, it goes from being broken but back together and it looks beauty again because of all the cracks and the way that it's gone back together and and it's the same with a relationship like relationships aren't perfect as you're saying and there is beauty in those imperfect parts that that help us grow in different ways as well whether it's more masculine more feminine it's the clash in between and and the lessons that you learn and often you don't learn those lessons until after the fact as well so we can go through a lot of turmoil in relationships a lot of pain and hurt but then when when the water's calm we can reflect and go oh okay well that's why you were putting the knives upside down in the dishwasher <laughs> or, or things like that, you know, or that's why you wanted 
you're more quiet and that's why you did this or you did that. And, and it all comes back to that teamwork again. Absolutely. And to the fact that every relationship has a stage of harmony, mm. rapture and repair. You can have that within a conversation a hundred times and you can have that over a period of time. It's not Facebook perfect. It's always a state of harmony or rapture and repair. And many of us don't know how to do the repair. Mm. And the repair is where the magic is. That is where you can have that coming together. And you said about the, the, the cracks. Um, the Talmud says that in order to shine a diamond, you need another diamond. Mm-hmm. And that coming together is like a screeching, terrible, <laughs> as the diamond gets polished. And that's what marriage is. Yeah, yeah. Is that It's that awful squeaky sound to get something a lot more beautiful coming, coming forth. Yeah. Yeah. So where to from here? Like, you know, we've talked a lot about patriarchy and the impact on, on relationships and I guess the complicity from both parts, I guess, um, right. fueled by social constructions of what it is to be a man and a woman and a husband and wife and so forth. So, so as a society, is this a society thing that we need to keep focusing on or is it more at the individual level or is it both? For sure, there's collective patriarchy, black and white, um, men, women. Um, the whole idea that you know patriarchy is based on linear is and there's either men there's women today people are feeling differently about their gender roles and gender definitions and as I said um, where's you from here I would like to to reinforce that concept especially with myself when I think about it of being more fully human and being fully human means I have independence I have vulnerability I'm scared sometimes. Um, I'm independent sometimes. We we wired to live life together. It's not a weakness. Yeah, I and love that. it makes our yeah. lives so much richer. Yeah, we do the journey together. Yeah. So so in in your role as a relationship coach, like, tell us a bit about some of the work that you do. How do you do it, and who who do you support at the moment? Okay, so those are really great questions. Who do I support? I might take sides. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because um, I believe that traditional psychology has been looking at when I what I see in my clinic is often the shame based people, a, a person is shame based. But if you think of it as a spectrum, there's toxic shame. I feel really bad about myself, and it goes up to grandiose. And we don't mm-hmm. often address the grandiose one up people. And the difference is the energy is the same. It's the energy of contempt. We want to come to the center of where I'm able to connect with you as well as myself at the same time, because healthy self-esteem is same as Mm -hmm. you and I are same as why, because God or somehow a higher power put us here. It's got nothing to do with our accomplishments. You might be a better podcaster than I am. I might be a better swimmer. It doesn't make me a more valuable person. Mm. And why is the the energy of contempt the same? Because either I'm looking down at myself and saying, I'm such a loser, or I'm looking down at you and saying, you're such a loser. Yeah. And we need to come to center to have intimacy <laughs> and connection. Um, so that is what I, I highlight. I, yeah. I look at those patterns, what's going on here. Because the shame-based person, he gets into an elevator. I can't remember the psychologist who said this. He turns green. The contemptuous person gets into, or the one-up person gets into an elevator, lights up his cigar, and everybody else around him turns green, and he's just fine. 
-hmm. When I'm in that state of I am better than you, I am entitled, I can't even see the pain I'm causing. I'm happy. Oh, so my relationships are a mess. My children are suffering because of my behavior. Oh, that sometimes needs to be highlighted. You need to come down. Just like the one the one down needs to come up, the one up needs to come down. Yeah. And so do you work primarily with couples or individuals as well? Both and. Yeah. Both and both with within the couple therapy, we might do some individual work and we speak about the boundaries of confidentiality with that. Yeah. And um or they might they might go out to another therapist or coach. Yeah. And how can people find you? Yeah, I have a website, www.bev.co.il. Bev Coil, easy enough. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Um, I'm kind of trying to step away a little bit from Facebook, but mm -hmm. I, I do have a Facebook page. I can be contacted on Messenger, LinkedIn. Wonderful. And I'll, I'll get the, all the links for all your channels and I'll put them in the show notes. Mm -hmm. so if anyone wants to touch base and, and or check Thank out your you. work, they can do that. Um, but Bev, I've really enjoyed our, our chat today. But before I let you go, I, I always like to ask my um, my guests to plug something that makes them feel good. So it doesn't have to necessarily be about what we've talked about today in terms of relationships or psychology or patriarchy or anything, but it's just something that makes you feel good as a person so that someone who might be listening might get some value out and want to check out for themselves. And what comes to mind is my husband and I have a gratitude practice. Mm. And at the end of the day, we check in with each other um you know we ask each other three things we're grateful for and that's really changed also to sometime always putting in something i'm grateful that he's done that day for me or you know he just came up safely from work or whatever that is yeah. um to, to actually acknowledge something that he's done for me that day um and i i, I noticed that's just kind of expanded our views to see so much more gratitude in our days yeah. i like that that's really cool um and it's a really good way to connect as a couple you know um yeah uh, particularly a lot of parents and, and couples go on autopilot when they have kids and and but taking that time to reflect on each other's day is i think a wonderful way to connect in right. and, and come equal as you say you know um see see each other from from each other's eyes as well but i love that um thanks so much for sharing that that's a great great tip pleasure um so thanks again bev for coming on i really enjoyed our chat it can be a patriarchy can be a very difficult discussion to have and it's important to have these discussions on the show mm -hmm. because guys particularly when we, we're growing and becoming mindful of who we are it's good to see the world through different lenses as well and and um patriarchy is one of those things that a lot of guys go well i'm not entertaining this conversation but it's important that we have these discussions so thanks so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom pleasure thank you for having me it was lovely meeting you well that's a wrap for today's episode and i hope you got some value from it if anything triggered your mental health today please reach out to your support networks also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.